Father, I ask that you would take this lisping, stammering tongue and use it to your glory. I feel very inadequate, but Lord, you know that the needs are of those who are here, and I pray that your spirit would use me to speak into their hearts and that they will feel their need of you as we address this important topic. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to share about burnout, balance, or flame out. My comments are really directed toward those who are involved in healthcare work or missions and have the opportunity to positively impact the lives of people that they serve. I presume that since you are attending this Amen conference that you have a burden also to reach others for the kingdom of heaven. We are told and we recognize that this work is great and the laborers are few. That brings us to the question, how do we do what we do without burning out? How do we balance meeting the needs of others without flaming out? The answer to this question is very specific for individual situations. For example, some of us are energized by social interactions with others while others are drained. The added reality is that our work is often very demanding and it seems never-ending. The technology that we interact with to do our work is ever-changing. And the landscape that we work in is guaranteed to look different in the years to come. So I want to share today principles that you can consider as you balance the needs of others with your personal and your family's situation. I want to start off by doing it in opposites. I'm going to start off with flame out, what I call the consequence, followed by burnout, the problem, and then end on a positive note, balance, the solutions. Now, our reality is that any work that we do, regardless of whether we're involved in ministry or healthcare work, can be stressful. There are many reasons why this can be the case. For one, we know that we can have the toll of long hours. We can have the demands of patients, even our employer. The majority of those of us who are involved in healthcare work are not in private practice. The majority of us are employed by someone. We have the emotional toll of the job and we have changes in regulatory requirements. And on top of that, we have to deal with the documentation of care. If I am sure that if I have to show off hands in here, how many are involved with some sort of electronic medical record or electronic health record? I'm, I'm quite confident that it will be the majority of us in this room. I don't know about you, but that can be very stressful. In addition to that, you have the needs of the person, family, and friends. There are reports that, there, that, are, that more than 50% of physicians and dentists are experiencing burnout. It is even higher with medical and dental students. What happens then when we are not able to meet these demands well? Burnout and even flameout can continue, can occur if it continues too long. 
What happens? Illustration was most aptly described by Pamela Wibble, a family physician and a pioneer in the ideal medical care movement. She tells the story about Vincent. This is Vincent at the age of two. He framed this photo to give his parents at his medical school graduation. He was an adored first grandchild, a joyful little prankster who made everyone laugh. His aunt Edna told a story that when he was in grammar school, Catholic grammar school, Vincent had his feet up on the chair in front of him. Sister Agnes came by and told him to put his feet down. And Vincent said, I have to keep my legs up. She asked him why. He said, because I have varicose veins. <laughs> well, here's Vincent at his high school prom. He was an athlete, gifted artist, compassionate, sensitive, gregarious, but private. He was a compulsive perfectionist, always a good kid, his family said. No, no addictions, just straightforward, normal, good guy according to his mom. Here is, is his picture at medical school graduation. Just 25 years old and two months after starting a prestigious surgical residency in New York City, he dies by suicide. Why? What happened during Vincent's medical school training? So Dr. Wibble went to several of his family members to find out what happened. His mom said that he became disappointed disillusioned. He lived near the hospital where he worked, but he would drive the 45 minutes home every chance he got in order to sleep in his own bedroom. He lost a lot of weight, and his jokes and his laughs were gone. His family was concerned, but they thought that it was the adjustment to a demanding profession. Vincent would tell them stories of how surgeons publicly humiliated the interns, how he and his partner would fall asleep leaning against the walls in the hospital while waiting for their patient's turn to get a scan. He spoke about his doubts, about saving this one guy who jumped out of a building when he was caught assaulting a young girl who was being treated in the room, the adjacent room in the emergency room. He spoke of the sisters Victims of a car accident brought to the emergency room, which stunned him for a moment because they looked just like his aunt and his mother, who often traveled in the car without their seatbelts on. Vincent took a belt and hung himself in his closet, and he left this note. I love you, Mom. I'm sorry. This is Caitlin. Caitlin and her mom... And Caitlin in high school, she was a deep thinker, an artist, a poet. Her extended family said Caitlin was one of the happiest people on this earth. This is Caitlin in medical school, 23 years old. She was an introvert with social anxiety. She always had a lot of close, few close friends, but none in medical school. Everybody was busy studying, she said, and people just went their own way. She was desperately lonely. Her perfectionism worsened. She went on a strict diet, started running marathons, lost a lot of weight. She would run 10 to 12 miles before class every day and still excelled in medical school, acing the step one exam. Unfortunately, she did not 
live to celebrate her results because she committed suicide by a helium overdose like a well-planned school project. She left this two-page suicide note in which she claimed long-term depression, but she hid it to protect herself and her family. I know you may not understood why I didn't seek help. I don't know if I can really explain why, but this choice makes sense to me. I know I had such a seemingly bright future, and I know I would have been such a successful doctor and wife and mother, but all I have ever desperately wished for is to not feel like not existing would be preferable to being who I am and living the life I live. I love you both so much. Your daughter. Caitlin's grieving mother, unable to recover from her daughter's suicide, died by a helium overdose one year later. Who is at risk? For flame out. Now, I'm showing you this to not overwhelm you, but I just wanted to show you the most recent statistics that I could find at the CDC. 2014, these are the 10 leading causes of death by age group in the United States. This is the most current that I could find. Now, suicide is the green box, green boxes. And you will notice, I just wanted to show you the last column total. Suicide represents the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. The blue box Blue boxes refer to unintentional deaths. When we look at the unintentional causes, the leading causes of injury deaths by age group, highlighting violence-related injury deaths, you will notice the green boxes again. And when you add up the green boxes in the very far right column, it is the second leading cause of death by unintentional injuries. What is even more remarkable is that when you look at the age groups starting at age uh, 35 through 65, suicide is number three. Who are at the highest risk? I found this interesting that some of the people on this list we were surprising and some were not. Scientists have a one, by the way, the risk of one is the average population, so scientists represent a 28% higher risk, 1.28. Pharmacists, 1.29. I guess they have access to drugs. Farm workers, lowest paid, long hours, hard work, 1.32. Electricians, electricians, 1.36. There are some studies that suggest that working around a lot of electricity has an effect on the brain. I don't know. That's for another lecture another time. Real estate agents, 1.38. Now, we would expect police officers. It is a problem that plagues both women police officers and African-American male police officers because their suicide rate is higher than their compatriots with suicide rates among women 2.03 higher and amongst the African-American male policemen 2.55 times higher than the average. Lawyers 1.33 and financial workers with the uncertainty in financial times 1.51. Dentists 1.61 and rounding out the list physicians 1.87. Flame out can have deadly consequences. Well, let's look at burnout. 
You know, it's not my intention to focus primarily on the problem of suicide or flame out, what I call flame out, but to illustrate that both dentists and physician clinicians are at great risk. Why is this happening? You see, there is a price to pay in doing the work that we do. Job satisfaction amongst clinicians is faltering, as well as physicians and healthcare professionals find it harder to be engaged in their work. The Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine did a survey at their 2014 annual conference in San Diego, and they found that 65% of those who attended the conference have considered leaving medicine because it is no longer rewarding to them. 56% of the respondents felt disillusioned with their healthcare practice, and nearly 6 in 10 clinicians reported patient overload. In just over half of these respondents, they reported feeling fatigue at least 15 days a month due to their work schedule, and 31% of clinicians experienced burnout more than half the time. And the reporting leading cause of burnout was patient overload. Now, I went and I looked and found this chart, which it's going to be difficult for you to see, so I'm going to try a little bit of blow. This is at the Mayo Clinic proceedings in December of 2015, reporting the percent of various specialties that they surveyed reporting burnout. Interestingly enough, you'll notice that emergency medicine, which is kind of like a no-brainer, they're in a high-octane kind of a profession, they were already at the 85% burnout rate compared 2011 in the blue or dark line, and 2014 is the follow-up survey. So emergency medicine leads the pack with 85% reporting burnout in 2014 and almost 93% in 2014, followed by urology and then physical medicine and rehabilitation. I have to have Phil Mills explain this one to me because he used to be in PM&R. Family medicine, following, followed by radiology, orthopedic surgery, internal medicine, general internal medicine, neurology, dermatology. Dermatology. They were like at 50%, and all of a sudden it jumped up in 2014. I don't understand what has happened to dermatologists that their stress level has just gone off the charts. Anesthesiology. I could understand anesthesiology. You have the life of a person in your hands. And the median, as you can see there, is around 75% in 2011, going up to 85% in 2014. The lowest on the list, preventive medicine. That's the lowest, preventive medicine. Well, burnout. Directly related to an impressive list of undesirable consequences. First, we have lower patient satisfaction and care quality. This is what it contributes. If I suffer burnout, the people that I take care of will not be taken care of as well. There will be higher medical error rates and malpractice risk, higher clinician and staff turnover. I work for the past 17 years for a federally qualified nonprofit organization, one of the largest ones in the state of New Mexico. It's been a privilege to serve in my community. We are in a very rural western county, the largest county in the state 
of New Mexico. Our total population is 3,900. We have, on average, half a person per square mile. That's my region. Well, I'm the only physical presence in the entire county, and we draw from a wide area, needless to say. But the turnover rate in my organization in the past three years, 40%. That is huge, significant impact to the organization. It's a big problem. Clinician alcohol and drug abuse and addiction is another consequence, and we just dealt with the ultimate clinician suicide, a loss to a community, to the profession, not to mention family and friends. So what are the symptoms of burnout? The accepted standard for burnout diagnosis is the Maslach Burnout Inventory, developed by Christina Maslach and her colleagues at the University of San Francisco back in the 70s. She later described burnout as an erosion of the soul caused by deterioration of one's values, dignity, spirit, and will. Here are the three main symptoms, exhaustion and depersonalization followed by lack of efficacy. Lack of efficacy is a nice way of saying you're no longer efficient. Well, in greater detail, which was identified by Dr. David Ballard at the American Psychological Association, he identifies these in more detail. Exhaustion is where you experience emotional, mental, or physical exhaustion. It's the sense of not having no energy. You just feel completely spent. Your lack of motivation is when you don't feel enthusiastic anymore about anything. You no longer have that internal motivation for your work, and there's a good chance that you're experiencing burnout. Frustration and cynicism and other negative emotions is when you feel like what you're doing doesn't matter anymore. You may be disillusioned with everything. You might notice that you are generally more pessimistic than you used to be. And cognitive problems is where it interferes with your ability to pay attention or to concentrate. You might find that you are more forgetful or you have a harder time remembering things. A slipping job performance is when you compare your job performance to what you do now compared to what you used to do. It may reveal that you're in a temporary slump or you are more likely experiencing chronic burnout. Interpersonal problems at home may be experienced one of several ways. You having more conflicts with people, like getting into arguments, or you withdraw. You withdraw from your coworkers, your family, and your friends. You may find that even though you're physically there, you're tuned out. Not taking care of yourself. I wish I had time to just deal with this in great detail. I'll cover it a little bit. But what happens is that people who are suffering from burnout engage in unhealthy coping strategies like drinking too much, smoking, eating too much junk food, not getting enough rest, not getting enough sleep, and self-medicating. Being preoccupied with work. If you're experiencing mental energy mulling over your job, then your work is interfering with your ability to recover from stress of your job. And the last two are generally decreased satisfaction. This is the tendency to feel less happy or satisfied with your career and your home life. 
you may feel dissatisfied or even stuck when it comes to whatever is going on at home or in your community or your church or any social interaction. And over the long term, of course, serious chronic illness can result in real health problems. So here's the admonition that comes from a Dr. Mark Linzer, who is the director of the Division of General Internal Medicine at Hennepin County Medical Center in Minneapolis, who's been studying burnout since the mid-1990s. And he points out the following, that you have a high tolerance to stress. You see, stress consistently ranks as the number one predictor for burnout in clinicians. Dr. Linzer just wants us to know that we should not ignore the stress, even if you can take it. Because physicians and clinicians who consistently operate under high stress are 15 times more likely to burn out, according to research. Number two, your practice is exceptionally chaotic. A quick glance around your practice will let you know if you or your colleagues may cave into stress. You see, people tend to think that it's patients that stress doctors out. It's actually the opposite. Caring for patients motivates many of us. We got into this business for that reason. But what burns them out is caring for patients in a high-stress environment. Change the environment, and you'll change the overall quality of care. The next is that you don't agree with your boss's values or leadership. I specifically address this because many of us are employed. This is particularly tricky, but you have to identify it in order to be able to prevent burnout. Dr. Linzer said, because whether you're working at a private practice, large hospital, you need to feel like the people who are working with you or leading you share your values for medicine and patient care. Otherwise, your motivation will slowly wane. Well, you're an emotional buffer. You know, when you're working with people, it requires more than our medical expertise. Often, the doctor acts as an emotional buffer. We buffer the patient from our own stressful environment until we can't stand it anymore. And the next one is our job constantly interferes with family events. This boy really hit me home, hit home with me because I remember years ago when I was working at a hospital in the suburbs of Chicago. I loved my work, but it constantly interfered with family events. And I did not pay attention, but I'll talk a little bit more about that. I didn't pay attention until I paid attention. You lack control over your work schedule and free time. The work demands increase, but control over your schedule doesn't, and stress kicks in and sparks burnout. So this is what Dr. Linzer advises docs to do. If you standardize, customize. In other words, a medical mantra to suggest that we must work in a long, standardized set of hours every week Practicing should at least customize your schedule to flexibly fit your personal need and to meet the needs in your daily life. And last but not least, you don't take care of yourself. When is the last time you went for a walk in the middle of the day or a morning run? I have a favorite illustration that I give to my patients. I say this to particularly caregivers that's the number one caregiver as a family practice are my mothers. And I look at them and I say, um, ever been on an airplane? Yes. Do you remember at the beginning of the flight, they give you these pre-flight instructions? Yeah. 
And one of the instructions is that if you're traveling with a small child, an oxygen mask fall out of the ceiling, who are you to put the oxygen on first? Half of the time, the mother says, the child. And I say, you weren't listening to the instruction. They look at me. What is the instruction? Oh, I'm supposed to put it on first. Why? I can't do that. Why? I guess so I'll be around to take care of my child. I said, I'm finished with my sermon for the day. Put the oxygen on first. That is my first admonition to this group of brothers and sisters who are involved in this work. Put the oxygen on first. It's a battle between the head and the heart. Because you see, we have a heart to care for those that are in our sphere of influence. But you have to put the oxygen on first if you're going to be available to take care of those that you love. I finished my sermon. So we've talked about flame out. Burnout. And now let's talk about solutions. You know, regardless of the reasons that we are undergoing stress, the question that remains for each of us is, what are we going to do about it? Every one of our situations is unique, and each requires a solution that fits us as individuals. I remember reading this text one day. This, as you remember from John 17, is where Christ was praying for his disciples and for all of us. And this text, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We're not, Christ did not pray that our stress be removed. He did not pray that we would have an easy journey, but he prayed that he would, that his father would keep us from the evil one. How do we go about doing that? So here's the question that I've asked. What, what, where's our focus? I believe that the answer is to not be found on focusing on the problem or the stress or the burnout, but rather what the Lord would have us to do with our stress. You see, I suggest that if you can do something to reduce your stress, you should. Things that are in your control. But there are many stressors that you have no control over. You only have control over your response to the stress and the choices that you make. So what should we do? I think the first thing that we have to do is that we have to recognize that we have an enemy who is absolutely not committed to our well-being. Number two, we need to recognize what is happening to us. That's why I gave you the list of symptoms of burnout. You need to recognize what's going on in your life. And you need to recognize that we have the power of choice. Sometimes we feel discouraged. Especially when we're in a situation where we feel trapped or that there are no options. There are always options. I remember one time when I was in medical school. 
at the end of a major examination, failing. That night, as I slept next to my roommate, who was Alpha Omega Alpha, for those of you who don't know what I just said, trust me, those in this room that know what I meant, they got it immediately, was sleeping peacefully. As far as I was concerned, there was no point in going on. And I remember dreaming that I was in the middle of the ocean and the waves were high and it was dark and nobody knew where I was and nobody cared. It was so easy to just slip below the waves. In front of me plopped a life buoy out of nowhere. And attached to the life buoy was a golden cord. And I knew who was on the other end of that life buoy. And I grabbed it. I'm here today because I held on. If you are feeling discouraged, consider this. For the disheartened, there is a sure remedy. Faith, prayer, work. Faith and activity will impart assurance and satisfaction that will increase day by day. Are you tempted to give way to feelings of anxious foreboding or utter despondency in the darkest days when appearances seem the most forbidding? Fear not. Have faith in God. He knows your need. He has all power. His infinite love and compassion never weary. Fear not that he will fail of fulfilling his promise. He is eternal truth. Never will he change the covenant he has made with those who love him. And he will bestow upon his faithful servants the measure of efficiency that meet, that their needs demand, their need demands. The Apostle Paul has testified. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities. You talk about stress in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Prophets and Kings 164.3. So, what can we do practically starting today? First, we need to put away self-exaltation and self-sufficiency. You cannot do it in your own strength. True workers will put away all self-exaltation and self-sufficiency. It is those who have the least evidence of the power of the Spirit of God in their labors who feel the greatest self-exaltation. These will try to repress those to whom God has given the precious truths for which his flock is starving, the bread of life, which will satisfy the hunger of the soul. Number two, prayer works. We here at Amen have made a commitment 
we're not strangers to what life is like as clinicians. We're not strangers. We live where you live. And we recognize that we have a need to train ourselves, to equip ourselves so that we can be filled to be able to encourage others, which is why we're here. And so this is what you'll see when you come to our conferences. The program committee did not ask me to make an advertisement for the conferences, but I'm just going to tell you what blessing it has been to me. It's that you come here so that you and I can learn from one another how we can better do what we seek to do, which is to reach others for the kingdom of heaven in our chosen profession. And so this is an intentionality you'll find in all of our programming. We come here and you'll find we have a track on prayer. What is that doing here? Yeah, because you see, prayer works. No other life was ever so crowded with labor and responsibility as was that of Jesus. Yet, how often he was found in prayer. Why would he do that? Because it works. How constant was his communion with God? The third practical thing that we can do is to withdraw periodically. In a life wholly devoted to the good of others, the Savior found it, what a great role model, found it necessary to withdraw from the thoroughfares of travel and from the throng that followed him day after day. He must turn aside from a life of ceaseless activity and contact with human needs to seek retirement and in broken, unbroken communion with his Father. As one with us, a sharer in our needs and weaknesses, he was wholly dependent upon God. And in the secret place of prayer, he sought divine strength that he might go forth braced for duty and trial. In a world of sin, Jesus endured struggles and torture of soul in communion with God. He could unburden the sorrows that were crushing him. Here he found comfort and joy. Why can't we take advantage of the same thing? I'll be candid with you. I have been in my journey at times so busy, I did not have time to pray. And it was precisely at those times that I needed it more than anything else. I challenge you. That if prayer is not a regular part of your diet, that you change your diet, you will be blessed. You, I don't need, uh, here's what I say. How do you know what pudding tastes like? How? You got to eat it. You need a personal experience to know how valuable this is. So all I have to say is, try it, eat it, see for yourself. So what to do in your time of withdrawal? I say you need to assess. Now, this withdrawal period, I'm going to leave it up to you and the Lord what that should look like. It can be as simple as 
getting up a little early in the morning and going for a walk. It can be as simple as that. Whatever it may be for you, I just encourage you to do it. And what you should do is to check in with your priorities. What are they? How are you doing? What are your successes? What are your failures? You see, there was a time in my life when I was not necessarily experiencing a sense of burnout, but work consumed me, and my priorities were not in the right order. You know, a godly husband should be a house band, drawing the hearts of his wife and children and sharing and demonstrating the love and the virtues of the kingdom of heaven. Well, during the early years of our marriage, and with young children, I was not doing this. It was at my daughter's, my oldest daughter's seventh birthday, where I looked at this cuteness, surrounded by all of her little friends, boisterous, all having a great time, and I looked at her, and it dawned on me, I didn't know her. I didn't know her favorite color. I didn't know the name of that stuffed thing she dragged around with her wherever she went. I learned that it had no name. The point is, I looked at that and I said to myself, I, I, I've got to change. You see, in my heart, I longed to be a godly father to my children, but where was I to find the time? Every moment was consumed by the practice of medicine. I was a director of the residency program, and I was in private practice, and I did OB. Work consumed me, and I didn't resist. I managed to find time, though, for outreach and for church planting, but at home, I was failing. My wife was feeling overwhelmed. I didn't have time for God, my wife, or my children. And even when I was at home, I was on the phone, or I was too busy with other selfish pursuits. God brought conviction to me that day of my daughter's seventh birthday that if I was to hear Someday, the words, well done, good and faithful servant. When he asked me the question found in Jeremiah, where is the beautiful flock that I gave you? I needed to change my priorities. We should have the priority found in Matthew six thirty-three. But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And then we are to follow the admonition found in the next verse. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. When I brought this up in Sabbath school the other week, I said to my class, what does this mean? And one brother said, stop worrying. Now you got to know that I'm a worrier. And the Lord really called to my heart. 
Are you going to take this admonition? Are you going to have faith in me? For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So what are you going to do in your time of withdrawal? Assess. You know, the priorities for me have become clear. God, family, mission to the world. We have to stop, though, periodically and check in. How well are we doing with our priorities? You see, we can be pretty busy. But in forming a relationship with Christ, I read this one day, the renewed man is but coming back to his appointed relationship with God. His first duty is to his children and his nearest relatives. Nothing, nothing can excuse him from neglecting the inner circle for the larger circle outside. In the day of final reckoning, fathers and mothers will be asked what they did and said to secure the salvation of the souls. They took it upon themselves, the responsibility of bringing into the world. Did they neglect their lambs, leaving them to the care of strangers? A great deal good, a great good done for others will not cancel the debt you owe to God to take care of your children. The spiritual welfare of your family comes first. That day was a turning point in my life. I began to place a higher priority on my devotional life, and I began to give myself more to my family. I did something that was difficult for me. I love doing what I do, but I also loved my family. And so I left the job that I was doing, that I loved a great deal, and I moved to, the, the, uh, to Michigan, to the uh, country. I left Hinsdale, a very upscale community, and moved to the country. And I began to work, that's about 24 years ago now. I looked around and I saw what the lives of the uh, children were like, older than my own. And I asked myself the question, is that what I want for my children? I made the decision. Was I understood? Oh, no. Was I appreciated my decision by my workplace? No. Was my family thrilled? Oh, yeah. Was I thrilled? Oh, no. But I made the choice. I have. You have the power of choice. You do. And as my family began to thrive, and they began to enjoy one another, and we began to do things with them, and we began to bind our, that's my wife and myself, hearts to our children's hearts, it began to turn slowly, but it began to turn. And then we made another decision 17 years ago to move to where? New Mexico. Where? The western mountains of New Mexico. Where? In the middle of nowhere. I'll be honest, my family, not my immediate family, my extended family thought, I was nuts. 
but my family were thrilled. I don't have time to go into the entire story. If you're interested in more of our journey, our family has a website, pathwayofpromise.org. You're welcome to go there and listen to our messages. You can download them. I have a message called Godly Fatherhood where I chronicle the journey in much more detail. But the bottom line is that we now have four young people, four young adults. Our oldest is now a missionary with her husband in the Democratic Republic of the Congo with our two precious grandchildren. And our next son is... Uh, in charge of our ministry, and he is currently staying with us and getting married in June of next year to a delightful young lady who will be supporting him in his ministry. He loves to serve. And my third son is going to be here this afternoon, my wife tells me. That brings joy to our hearts. And he is also engaged to a young lady who is very committed to supporting him in service, and our youngest daughter who just labored with GYC. Some of you may know that. She serves now with her husband in their chosen area of mission, presently there in Zimbabwe, visiting and speaking there. I have to tell you, there's no greater joy than knowing that your children love the Lord. <laughs> you will not regret making the hard decision to attain balance in your life and maintain the right priorities before God. It brings honor to him and many rewards in our own lives, especially when you hear the bottom line, well done, good and faithful servant. So I encourage you to write down the priorities that you have made. So you can review them. My children all journal. I've just never gotten into the journal thing, but those who journal just love it. I'll tell you why. Because you can go back and remember what decisions you made. I sort of journal in Evernote, but I do it. Lastly, ask yourself, what's missing? Step back. Take a look at the big picture. Get input, especially from your spouse. I've been very blessed by a godly spouse. What's the big picture? Why are you here? Let no one suppose that because a man is constantly busy, he demonstrates his fidelity, for the tempter is constantly busy and is helping those who are endeavoring to labor in accordance with their own devisings. Idolatry of self, of my plans, my devisings, Christ looks upon with contempt. Christ wants his followers to be like him because he desires to be correctly represented in the family circle, in the church, and in the world. He wants us to attend to ourselves. When we do this, we shall find that we have enough to keep us busy. We are to accept Christ as our efficiency, our strength, that we may reveal his character to the world. This is the work resting upon us as Christians. We are to witness to the power of heavenly grace. So start with the end in view. It's my last slide. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. 
fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. My prayer for each and every one of you is that you don't flame out. We cannot avoid the stress in this world. That is not what our Savior prayed for. He did not pray. Eventually, he, of course, wants us in a place, if we choose to believe and to follow him, where there will be no more sorrow, where there will be no more tears. But until then, we need his help. And it's available if we choose to not do it ourselves. Self is not the solution. He is. And we can reach out and get help. I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, that my if nothing else, my desire for you is that you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you really called to my heart again to reorder the priorities. There is nothing that is good apart from you. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us here to make decisions here today that we will commit to making the changes that are needful so that we can be found faithful when you come in the clouds of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.